Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled if you've got a pulse. This podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you're fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called to communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people, bringing our neighbors, our brothers and sisters who know the Lord and those who don't, to Christ Jesus and to bring revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the new manna, the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us in the Holy Eucharist. So I just want to give a quick shout out to everybody out there who has left a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you for helping us get the word out that Jesus is alive and he's about a good work in his church and that he is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most holy Eucharist. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you haven't, you're in luck. You can still do that. It's really easy. Just see those five stars. Just click all of those. Thank you very much. Jesus says thank you. So today I am blessed to be joined by a couple of Keiths. Um, One, Father Keith Chabwick, and one, Mr. Alex Keith. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Great job on the intro. Thanks. Bringing the juice. I did my best. I was like, man, Keith, Keith, how am I going to do this? And (laughs) just really in my head about it. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. Cool. So take us back to the beginning. Uh, We love to start with just this, this, uh, your story of falling in love with Christ. Like, well, even before that, even just like, who are you? What's your state of life? Tell us about all that jazz. All right. I guess I'll go first. Um, My name is Alex Keith. Um, I am a cradle Catholic. Um, come from a family where my dad was a cradle Catholic and my mom was a convert, so I got kind of the best of both worlds growing up. Nice. Um, I am a lifelong parishioner of Holy Trinity Catholic Church. It's the only um, parish I've ever been a part of. Every first sacrament that I've ever had was at this parish. Nice. Um, I am married to my beautiful wife, Lauren. Um, we met in high school, which is fantastic. Um, I'm the father of four children. Uh, we have boy-girl twins who are seven. Um, they're currently in first grade at Holy Trinity. I have a five-year-old daughter who will be a kindergartner here next year and a two-year-old son. Um, I kind of already mentioned it, but I went, to, I went to school here at Holy Trinity and then high school at St. Thomas Aquinas and then college for my undergrad at Benedictine and then got a job at St. James teaching theology. Um, and I was lucky enough to serve as the head of their theology department for eight years and then went back to Benedictine for grad school. And then uh, a couple of years ago was uh, felt called to serve in a different role for our parish at Bishop Miege High School, where I currently serve as the dean of students there. And then recently I went back to another Catholic school, St. Leo University down in Florida. I am currently getting my doctorate from them. No so big deal. Needless, needless to say, I am, uh, I'm passionate about Catholic education. Nice. And it's uh, maybe outside of my parents, the, the biggest driving force in who I am today. I have a lot to thank to you know, every school that I've been at, the Archdiocese, for helping form um, who I am. I would say you know, my story with God growing up, I was... Um, I realized this later on in life, but I was really fortunate that I always kind of like knew and believed that Jesus was God and that Jesus was present in the in the Eucharist. Um, and I knew this kind of in my head, but it really shifted for me the summer going into my freshman year of high school uh, with the Holy Trinity Youth Group. We took a trip out to Colorado to Steubenville of the Rockies and um, kind of the typical, you know, I... I uh, I knew Jesus, 
I knew his teachings, you know, somewhat. And uh, but for the first time in adoration there, um, for the first time, you know, in a room with, you know, 10,000 people, um, I realized that there was something more there. Yeah, I think I had known Jesus in the head, but that was the first step to um, really beginning a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, when I came back from that trip, um, I knew that like there was this like kind of tension within my life because I so badly wanted to like follow Jesus and do all of the, you know, the things that the church tells us to do. But then I also, you know, very much wanted to live in the world as well too. I, I wanted to, you know, play sports and mess around and do all those different things that, um, that young boys do. But, um, I was just kind of had this tension kind of pulling me one way in each, um, direction. And when I was 17 years old, I was lucky enough to have a, um, a mentor in my life, Stacy Creeters. She's currently out at um, St. Lawrence Center. Yeah. But she was the youth minister here at Holy Trinity, mm. and she was the first person to really walk with me and show me the person of Jesus Christ and kind of turn what was kind of like a private thing in my own life outwards. Um, and she was the one who, you know, really talked to me about giving my life to Jesus. And mm. I remember being 17 years old and her asking, like, you know, is there anything else in your life that's really, you know, dictating or influencing, you know, your everyday decisions? And mm. I, I, you know, in a moment of honesty, I, I, I said yes. And like, there's all these different things. And she just kind of answered, asked me the question, yeah. like, why? Why is it? Why are you letting anything else dictate that? And that was very profound for me. And so the first big decision that I had to make was where was I going to go to college? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, I wanted to grow in relationship with the Lord. So I chose to go to Benedictine up in Atchison, yeah. go Ravens. And, um, and that's where I was really catechized for the first time. Like yeah. our theology classes and teachers and professors, like they knew their stuff. And, yeah. and to me, that was, it was great because I was being challenged in a different way. And I was being given an option not to live, you know, the typical college life. Um, but it was great to be able to go to mass on Sunday nights with my friends and see long lines at confession and, yeah. and make that kind of a normal, uh, part of my, my everyday in and outs of, of life. And then, um, after college, um, you know, I felt called that I was, I was meant to be in education. Uh, my mom was a teacher for 38 years in the Blue Valley School District. She's Kansas State Teacher of the Year in oh, 1996. Wow. Come you, on, Mom. I know, right? You get a trophy. It's a golden apple. And so, <laughs> yeah, way to go, Becky Keith. And um, so she's she was obviously, like, very important in that. But um, I knew that I wanted to, to minister to people as well, um, kind of like seeing where I was in high school and kind of reach out to those kids who, who were trying to live in both worlds and yeah. kind of push them. Um, in the direction to living for the Lord. And so for eight years, I I loved teaching theology. I taught freshman salvation history and then senior discipleship, which is a lot like a social justice class, and then um, responding to the call of Jesus, which is talking about vocations and how we respond to his call. And I was given so much life in that. Um, I think the best thing was is, you know, preparing for class every day, I had yeah. to sit down and read the Bible. And I had to like mm -hmm. really know my, my, my course content. Um, and... And that was a, another way that, that I developed. And one of the beautiful things about St. James is that we had the sacraments readily available a, a lot of times. Yeah. And so on Fridays, it was just like baked into my schedule that I'd go to the chapel four times and be in adoration. And you can't help but grow closer to the Lord when you when you see that. Yeah. And then um, I guess most recently, I think the newest way in which God is really you know pushing me um, to a deeper relationship with him, um, I took a job. 
uh, two years ago um, as the assistant principal over at Bishop Miege. And from the first time I walked into that building, I knew that that, that place was special. Um, it serves our archdiocese. Go Stags. Go Stags. Yeah, go Stags, go. go. Um, <laughs> and uh, it serves our archdiocese in a very real way. And um, we have we have a larger contingent of people students who are not Catholic at that school. And so mm. we are really, for a lot of these kids, preaching the gospel for the first time. Yeah. And that's new and exciting to me. Um, there's a long, rich tradition at Miege in which I'm happy to be part of, a tradition of service about yeah. living for one another. And um, it's been great to be able to be there. And that's kind so good. Of, yeah. I love I love Bishop Miege. Like, um, if you've been there, you know, but this Bishop Miege has got this honking crucifix on the football field it's awesome sure. it's it's so mega good. crucifix it's so good i know and that's actually it's it's a beautiful thing because um i would back when i was coaching football at st james they didn't have a football field and so we our home games were at bishop Miege. oh really and um i remember setting up the camera in the end zone for um the football team and there were kids at Blue Valley that were warming up on that end of the field. Mm-hmm. And I could overhear them talking about the crucifix. Yeah. And it's like, even just by like having that crucifix right. there, it was like a little model of evangelization. Exactly. And they were talking about, you know, hey, are you Catholic? Like, I'm Catholic. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, there's a crucifix. Yeah, like, yeah. look at that crucifix. And like, so, you have to confront Jesus yes. just like in the presence of a crucifix that large. Absolutely. It, yeah, yeah. There's no escaping it. Yeah. That's for sure. Kind of like touchdown Jesus at, uh, at Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So sure. something you something that really struck me was just how when you said, um, like I knew Jesus, I knew about Jesus, mm-hmm. um, but then something happened like in that adoration with, yeah, with those ten thousand people, right? Like the Lord comes in a strong and sensible way when we are uh, in front of Him. Yeah, uh, particularly like uh, when we are with our peers uh, and something. It's, I don't know. It's just something really beautiful. Like I, I got this image of like the Lord on Easter Sunday evening like kind of just zooming through the wall, you know, just like, hey, the door's locked. I'm just going to, you know, Scotty beam me down, kind of like just appear. Mm-hmm. And it's like the Lord will do that to us too. And he will always do it in a gentle way and uh, in a way that uh, gives us peace and joy. Yeah. And I think there's, yeah, there's something very real there too with, you know, God being Trinity and communion. It makes sense that, you know, the most profound moment of my life was spent in communion right. with a lot of different people and that that added to the experience and not to say that like, you know, being an adoration by myself isn't great. It right. is, it is fantastic, right. but I don't know if that would have been the way in which I was, you know, reached out to by Jesus or I'd have been open enough to hear, yeah. you know? Yeah. And if we, um, if we really knew, man, if we, if we had that connection, if we, all of us had that, the head to heart experience that you had, like our churches daily, would look like what I'm sure that auditorium looked like that day of just like there would have to be police escorts or whatever to get the priests in. There would have to be like there'd be lines out the door, standing room only like, come on. Right. You know? So good. Agreed. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, that's, I appreciate that's it. Really beautiful and powerful. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing. Father. Yeah. So I'm one of four boys, grew up in Bonner Springs, went to Sacred Heart in Shawnee. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my family was always pretty Catholic, always went to Mass on vacations, always prayed before we went to bed. But my family, the kind of the structure of it changed pretty dramatically when my twin was diagnosed with cancer. You're a twin. Yeah, I'm a twin. Mm. We don't look anything alike. So <laughs> he's like an inch and a half taller, about seven inches thinner, but okay. I'm much better looking. So. Of course, naturally. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was diagnosed with leukemia when we were six years old. Wow. And 
During that time, I moved in with my grandparents, who were our next-door neighbors anyways. And just seeing like the parish kind of rally around my family, seeing the mm. priest come to anoint my twin, um, was really inspiring to me. Then I remember we read the Lives of the Saints a lot before we went to yeah. bed. And so I've always really loved the Lives of the Saints because of that. And also seeing my grandparents, who were in their 80s yeah. at the time, just seeing their prayer life, seeing them pray together really affected me. Mm. So yeah, it was a product of Catholic education my entire life. Um, went to Sacred Heart in Shawnee for grade school, like I oh, said. Cool. And it's going to show my youth, but I went to St. James Academy for yeah. uh, for high school. Nice. Um, and it was really at St. James that I was able to fall in love with the Lord more. Mm. But I've said I wanted to be a priest, you know, since I was five, right before my twin got diagnosed with cancer. But it was at St. James that I saw that um, call become more of a reality in my yeah. life. That Mons- Take shape. Yeah, absolutely. Monsignor yeah. Ray Berger was the chaplain there at the time, and he was the first priest to show me what a priest actually did. Mm. And it wasn't just you know, say mass in the morning, take naps in the afternoon. Ring bells and such. Yeah. yeah. So he he really kind of showed that to us, and he encouraged uh, this group of guys called the Magnificat Society mm. to enter into prayer together. Yeah. And so a lot of us took holy hours at our uh, parishes, and cool. so I had like 6 p.m. on Monday nights. And Fun. A couple of my friends had the hour before me and the hour after me. Yeah. And so uh, between, you know, adoration uh, weekly, both at, Sacred Heart, and then at St. James on a Fridays, and then just daily Mass, um, was able to hear that call of the Lord and entered seminary mm. right after. So went from St. James into the seminary, went to Conception nice. for four years, graduated in 2016. So you went to college seminary? I did go to college nice. seminary. So And for folks out there who might not know the difference, like could you explain what the difference is between ma- major and minor seminary is? Yeah, so minor seminaries where you study philosophy, that the church asks us to get a degree or the equivalent of a degree in philosophy. Sure. So I took the short track of nine years in seminary. (laughs) Um, So graduated high school in 2012, uh, got a BA in philosophy four years later in 2016, and then went right into major seminary, which is studying theology. So a man who already has gone to college and has a college degree in something that's not philosophy would do a a pre-theology program, which would be studying enough philosophy to... Two years usually, right? Yeah, typically two years. And so they do a two-year philosophy degree and then go on to major seminary or the yeah. theology. Yeah, so. and there's four years of theology and then a pastoral year in our diocese. Yes, typically so. in our diocese, yeah. yeah. Right on. Tell us about your relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist today or Keith. Please talk. Alex, not Keith. You're Keith. <laughs> Father, you're Alex. Alex, please go. I know it's going to be confusing with, the, with the Keiths. Yeah. Um, uh, I think there's something about really the time spent um, away from our Lord in COVID that awoken a deeper part of just how much I I was relying on the Eucharist. Mm. Um, For the first time in my life, you know, during the pandemic, I was told that, like, you know, you can't go to church. You cannot receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And I know that some people were more lucky than others, like people who were running the soundboards and all that kind of stuff in the churches. They got to, you know, still receive the Eucharist. But I... uh, you know, we say the prayer that, you know, um, though I not, you know, can't receive you, you know, please enter my heart. And mm-hmm. it was nice and, and uh, it's a good prayer. Don't get me wrong. But um, there was something missing when I couldn't receive Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, it almost it almost felt like the, the, the faith was like cheapened a little bit to me. Yeah. Um, that there was this real thing that I knew about that I just didn't have access to. And so, I mean, obviously, I don't, you know wish a global pandemic on anybody, but, um, but it did, 
kind of reawaken um, a hunger for for the Eucharist from me and my wife. And we would talk about it often. You know, yeah. we do living room church and all this kind of stuff, but we're like, man, we just want to receive yeah. the Eucharist. And so, you know, when we came back, I remember that there was there was an increased emphasis, even here at Holy Trinity, on just like reverence around the Eucharist. And I don't know if it was um, intentional by, you know, our parish sure. or not, um, but it was like, it, it was a noticeable and tangible difference. I can even call out like uh, Father Travis one day had this amazing homily in which he talked about reverence and receiving the Eucharist and how we should be receiving this Eucharist. And, um, and he, he invited people to like receive on the tongue who'd never received on the tongue before. Mm. And he's like, no judgment or anything like that. But if you've never experienced it this way, you know, you should try. And the line to come, you know, yeah. receive from the Eucharist or receive on the tongue was out the back door, like yeah. into, um, into the narthex. Right. And it was, it was just a really beautiful and moving thing. And I remember, um, coming home and talking with my wife about it and how profound and moving that was. Yeah. And then even just recently, you know, the precious blood was not part of, um, the Eucharist for a long time, even after COVID yeah. with, with all of these things and just the return of the precious, precious blood has even like, um, intensified that even more, right. um, that desire for receiving Jesus, you know, totally, um, yeah. bloody bud, soul and divinity. And so, um, I think it's another beautiful thing that we do. We're lucky at Holy Trinity to have um, Eucharistic adoration uh, perpetually, and right. um, you have the code you can get in. And and if you don't, what do you do? What do you do, Father? You, our adoration chapel, a lot of purposely has a lot of glass around it, so there's someone always there. So you can always knock on that glass door to have someone let you in if you don't have the code. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Or just hit Father up. Yeah, you can find me. <laughs> yeah, right. I live on campus. <laughs> um, yeah, and so having that is is huge because, you know, we have four young kids, and so oftentimes the time to get to adoration is not during, like, normal business hours. Like, sometimes, yeah. you know, it's got to be later. It's got to be early. It's got to be something like that, and just having access to come to a quiet place to adore our Lord is, is has been really beneficial for, for Lauren and I. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to imagine life without the Blessed Sacrament, mm-hmm. that I was fortunate during COVID because I was in the seminary. We still had daily mass. We still had adoration. So it's been a long time that, you know, I had a long time without having to receive the Blessed mm-hmm. Sacrament in my life, mm-hmm. that I was a daily communicant from 2008 on. Yeah. And so, yeah, something that Deacon Dana Niermeyer said to me when I was in middle school really sticks in my head. And I've pointed this out to him. He doesn't remember saying this, but... I'll give him credit today. I normally don't give him credit. <laughs> but, you know, being in front of the Blessed Sacraments, being in front of something like that's being something in front of like that's radioactive, mm-hmm. that you can't be in front of uranium, for example, without being affected by it. Yeah. yeah. That you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, but right. it changes you from the inside out. Right. Mm. And being in front of the Blessed Sacraments the same way. Without, uh, yeah. without dying. I'll say, unlike, yeah, I unlike say. uranium, it heals you from the inside out <laughs> rather right, than, right. you know, deteriorates you from the inside out. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's... I'm very privileged being a priest that my life is permeated with the Blessed Sacrament, whether yeah. it's, you know, a daily holy hour, yeah. it's daily mass. My life is set apart for the Blessed Sacrament, which okay. is, yeah. yeah, a huge privilege. Big time. And just to make a quick quick distinction, you you mentioned the, the body and the blood, both. Um, but just to be clear, the, yeah. the Council of Trent and um, Pope, Pope John Paul II, he made clear in Redempto, Redemptionis, that's the word, Latin, Redemptionis Sacramentum, in 2004 that both 
just both species, the body and the blood. Yes. So the cup and the little wafer thing. Jesus is completely, entirely, fully present in both. Exactly. Just to make that clarification. 100%. And yeah. I think it was more like a sensual thing, like being right. able to actually exactly. physically receive. Um, yeah, it just makes it tangible. It makes it real. Yeah. Um, I want to, yeah, also shout out something that I think that our Archbishop does really well. Um, Archbishop Nauman started a tradition back when I was in high school at St. Thomas Aquinas, and I think it was in the spring of 2009 where he spends at least a day in every school um, doing Eucharistic adoration mm. in front of in front of our high school students. And I, and I know that he goes around to grade schools and does it as well. And I remember that very first time, um, Father Mitchell Zimmerman was my was my high school chaplain. Oh, cool! And and it was he had to round up, um, you know, a group of guys to um, to serve this this um, Eucharistic adoration. Right. And and I remember I remember having like all of these questions about the Eucharist because I was about ready to go do all these different things and having Archbishop Nauman there like talking to us about it was like a really, really powerful um, and profound thing for me as a high schooler. And then now being in the high schools, I get to see all the other high schoolers um, ask those same questions and be around um, our, our archbishop. And I mean, I don't know how many archdioceses in the world, you know, not only do the kids in the diocese know who he is, but, but see him multiple times a year um, investing in, in their lives and saying, you know what, I can spend a lot of time with you doing a lot of different things, but the most important thing probably that I can do is celebrate Mass with you once and then come back and spend time in Eucharistic adoration. And yeah. so big shout-out to Archbishop Nauman for um, for instilling that within the youth of our diocese. Yeah, and uh, also shout-out to St. James High School because they, they have this policy in place called going AWOL, mm-hmm. which is being able to just, you can leave class for as, as far as I'm aware. I right. don't teach there, haven't taught there. Just hear me out. But you can leave class and go to adoration. Yeah. You can go spend time in the chapel. Yes. Uh, at any time, I think. Yeah. Is that right? So AWOL, it stood for away with our Lord. Um, and so, yeah, so you would just ask a teacher, can I go AWOL? And they would say yes, and there would be typically, you know, we would, you know, either text like the front office lady right. or somebody right. who was like around there, or maybe a, a sure. counselor or somebody be like, hey, this person's heading to the chapel. But um, yeah, the majority of the times, uh, that was a... Upon, you know, talking with alum from the school, they would say that those were really profound moments of their life where maybe they were going through something, you know, big to them when they were a sophomore in high school or something like that. But knowing that that was an option to turn to our Lord in those moments was a really good and healthy thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's a that's a beautiful thing. I went went to Lawrence Free State High School, public school. Yeah. In uh, Lawrence, Kansas. Did they have a way with our Lord? uh, Yeah, really. (laughs) Yeah, not quite. So. I would love to have been able to go AWOL rather than to like AP bio mm-hmm. when yeah. I'm having a hard day. If, I, if I'm having a moment and I'm like, Lord, I did not join the church until my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but still just like in that process of formation, going through RCAA, um, just how, how much of a blessing it is Yeah, that for, for those students who do go to St. James for um, or anywhere where the Lord is present on yeah. campus physically, like in the campus chapel, just... It's amazing. And I'll shout sure. out another guy, too, over at uh, Bishop Miege, Bill Creech, who's been there a long, long time, yeah. campus minister. Um, he has he has the same sort of like policy in place, oh, cool. too, with campus ministry. He's got this room, the room of requirement, but also it really <laughs> just turns into whatever you need it to be, sure. you know, in those rooms, kind of the Harry Potter reference there. But then, yeah, he he will constantly, people will, you know, ask him, hey, can you write me a note to, to head out to the chapel? And, right. and he will do that for them. And so... 
Um, your hall pass is the crucifix. Yeah, that's kind of that's right. Yeah, jokes. You, yeah, you <laughs> throw it over your back and you and you march it. to the chapel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I say when I was at St. James, I used a wall a lot. Yeah, that the first time I went back as a priest, uh, Andy Tulicki, who's the president there, mm. came up to me. He's like, "Father, nothing's changed. You're still just wandering the halls." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I spent a lot of time a wall at St. James. That's amazing. So tell us, tell me a little bit about uh, what your lived relationship with Christ looks like today. Yeah, I can start because I think um, when you first say that, my the first context that I want to like put it into is through the the voca- my vocation, which is my marriage. Um, because I think that I don't know who said it to me, but a long time ago they were like, you know, you know how you get to heaven now, and it's like I don't know how do you get to heaven. It's mm-hmm. like you got to be the best husband that you can possibly be, mm-hmm. and it's like that is that is what God is calling you to do. So above all other things, like you need to put your relationship with God. Um, first, and then yeah. your your spouse, and your relationship with your spouse second, and then your children, and then everything else flows from that in direction that there. Yeah. And um, it's funny because, yeah, I mean, I'll also harken back to a, a quick little anecdote about my dad. My dad, when I was really young, he told me, he told me a very like one-off phrase, but he said, you know, just keep it in the back of your mind that if you ever became a priest, like I'd be proud of you. Mm. And that that did shape a lot of like of my thoughts towards the future. Um, because like I, I, in high school, I thought, you know, what is my vocation going to be? You know, I'm open to be a priest. I'm not, you know, running off to seminary or anything like that, but I I figured it'd be unfair to like close the door to like being a priest. And then later on in life, um, you know, I had this friend, her name was Lauren and we were friends all throughout high school and college and everything like that. But then when it came to like, really me really decided mm. like where am I going to go within my life like how am I going to get to heaven it's yeah. like you know what I need to start loving as much as possible and yes. there's this one woman who I like I, She's I love cool. more than anybody else yeah. right exactly so you know I ask her to marry me and then we start our life together and um we have twins right away and so like our love is is growing and expanding and I think that um in the context of my marriage um I was given this this uh, crucifix by one of my dear friends, Sister Carolyn Nunez, um, who's a Franciscan martyr of the St. George. And she gave this to me and she said, remember what your mission is. It's to be Christ for Lauren, like be Christ crucified. Yeah. And so my lived experience nowadays is like now thinking, okay, what's mm. really, really hard in my life? How, how is this going to be a cross that's going to be bore, like bore from Lauren and my family? And... Um, it puts things into perspective like pretty mm. quickly. It puts little fights into perspective like pretty quickly yeah. when it's like Seriously. you know you're called to <laughs> you're called to lay down your life for this woman. And so I think that I, I'm not gonna say that, you know, my marriage is equivalent to Christ dying on the cross. Like that's not what I'm saying, but I am saying that like I do unite all of those struggles, all of those all of the the pains, all of the the, the parts of being human in my life to the cross of Jesus. And I think it's easy to do so in yeah. context of like my relationship with Lauren. Yeah. And how would you contextualize for folks just like, okay, yeah. what does it look like to live sacrifice? Like, I mean, cause you say conform yourself yeah. to Christ unto Christ for her. So like, what does that look like? Does it, does it mean being, you know, lashed and crucified? I mean, like, what does that look like for you? Uh, no, not, not necessarily, not in the most literal of terms. Um, but I do think when it's like when I work a full day at Miege and, you know, there's it's been a hard one. It's been an easy one, whatever. And I come home tired, like and my first instinct is to want to, like, 
put up my feet and like yeah. get on my phone or anything like this. It's like, no, I need to, I, it sounds crazy, but like, I need to go and like ask my wife how her day was. And like, and because I know not for my own sake, just cause I want to know this thing, but because I know that, you know, whether my wife was with my kids all day, not having much adult interaction yeah. or she was at work all day. She works in heart surgery at KU med. And not so a big, not a big deal. Yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. A big deal. No, no, no. She has, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they're not really talking about life. They're talking yeah. about like serious things and everything there. Yeah. She needs that. I know that she needs an outlet to be, um, to be heard. And so first and foremost, like I want to be there for her or if I, I'm tired, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like I know that my seven year old son's going to want to wrestle. Yeah. And so it's like, that's yes. Sometimes, you know, Christ looks like hey, good answer. Yeah. I think Lauren's going to be happy wrestling with that on answer. the couch. Yeah. yeah so I know. One of my favorite uh, things when I was at your house for the witness to love program, mm -hmm that Lauren said is she's like, yeah, Alex used to come ho home and like offer to cook dinner. And he finally found out like, that's not what I want. I just want him to go wrestle the kids. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I want to cook dinner. I want to be at peace by myself. Let him wrestle the kids for a bit. Yeah, no. And it's, and it's kind of true. Like there are some of those days too, where, um, yeah, where I think I have like the perfect idea of like yeah. how I'm going to sacrifice. Uh -huh. And then I'm, I've realized that I've missed the mark a whole, yeah. a whole lot. And that's part yeah. of, that's part of why marriage is, is so fun and exciting because it's yeah. not the same thing for us every single day. Like yes. we're still learning. Um, we're still growing our relationship deeper. Right. Um, you know, I, I joke, like I, kids ask me all the time and I'm, I'm a pretty cliche person. I say the same thing over and over right. and over again. Then they ask me like how my day is. I'm like, oh, it's the best day of my whole life. And like, yeah. and I'm not being cliche in that moment. It's because like, no, my relationship with my wife is like growing every day. Like I yeah. get to grow a little bit older with my kids every single day. Yeah. Like I have more kids now than I did, you know, True. a few years ago and all these kind of things. And so it's like, yeah, those, those little things where it's like, I get to learn a little bit more. It doesn't mean that everything's easy or on the outside, right. like all things are good, but like my life is, is full and yep. good because even the, even the, the trials and the sacrifices are necessary yeah. and there are the ways in which I can, like you said, conform my life to Jesus. Right. And it's so beautiful because I've seen the same thing in my marriage, yeah. um, like coming home and knowing, um, you know, sometimes I've got the kids like all all to myself because my wife works in the ER at KU and it's like, well, uh, it really just depends on the day. We're at the mercy of her schedule sort of. Mm -hmm. And just, um, and, but when she is home, like knowing that, um, yeah, she, she might want to wrestle the kids yeah, and that's great. And I'll go throw some chicken nugs in, yeah. you know, the air fryer or whatever, but Absolutely. just, um, but being able to, uh, I, I, I'm just thinking about like what Christ did was he, he gave people what they needed. He, he wasn't uniform across the board right. in his ministry to the world. Like sometimes he um, like literally abandoned people as they were sleeping and walked across water to go be with his buddies again. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he didn't abandon them. He's like, I got, I got some work to do. Yeah. And he was busy. He needed to pray. He needed to go off and be alone. Sometimes, sometimes he, need, he was like shouting and just like really getting after it with people. And sometimes he took a select few with him up a mountain and, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, read the gospels. Like you'll see that he, he loved in different ways for different people at different times, at different situations. And it's just like being Christ is being able to do that with his heart and with his love. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to put the disclaimer on here. Like I'm nowhere near like the perfect husband or like the perfect father. And, you know, <laughs> we still have struggles and everything within our lives and all that kind of stuff too. Um, but I think you're you're dead on. You're right, exactly. Like Christ, yeah, he did love people. It would be weird if he, you know, gave you know, <laughs> rub spit on somebody's mouth who could already talk. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. he was. That'd be was, a little, yeah, you know, like that was weird. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when you can't talk and he does it, and you start talking, and you're like, oh, there might be something here. Yeah, yeah.
Father, what about you? You know, just a few moments ago, you were talking about John 20 with Christ walking through that locked door. And I actually gave a talk to our youth group last night about kind of the context of that, that the Lord appeared to these apostles after they abandoned him in the garden, after Peter denied him publicly, after they all fled when they saw him crucified except for John. And here they are, the women of their group came up to them and said, he's not in the tomb, that there's reports that he's risen. And so kind of in fear, they go to this upper room, they lock themselves behind this closed door, and the Lord is able to appear to them to go through those barriers they put up, and the very first thing he says is, peace be with you. And so I was reflecting... And they freak out, and they say, he says it again. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so I was reflecting with the youth group last night about, you know, Christ offers us peace the world can't give us. That if I had to sum up my relationship with Christ real briefly, it's just, it's the peace that I have. Yeah. That amidst the chaos of this world, amidst, you know, sick calls to the hospital, amidst yeah. coming to the school and teaching and doing all the different things I have to do, Christ is the thing that he's the bedrock that gives me peace to yeah. my life. That we mm. often hear like in funerals that whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And we typically take that in the context of, oh, this person's died and they're still the Lord's. Yeah. But we have to continue to remember that we also have to live for him. Right. And so, you know, being a priest that's in a very real way my job is to live for the Lord. And so it's a real privilege that that can happen. Yeah. But it means that, you know, as I set time aside to pray the bereavery, as I set time aside to say mass, as I set time aside to make a holy hour, that it be able to enter into this relationship with the Lord and ask him to continuously give peace to us. Yeah. That even last night we were talking about the different saints and um, Father Mike, and I brought both brought relics to our youth group. And Father we were, Mike is oh, Father Mike Kohler is the pastor here oh, at Holy Trinity. Right so uh, he and I both went over there and talked about these saints and talked about different relics and um, kind of talked about the the lives of these saints that certainly weren't perfect. That they yeah. had a lot of crazy situations going on, but Christ was still their peace. Right. And we talked about the martyrs of Compiègne, who were these mm-hmm. French nuns that were killed. 10 days before the revolution ended in France. Mm-hmm. And their their public execution is kind of what turned the tide in Paris, mm. that these nuns were sentenced to death by the guillotine. And as they went up one by one, they were singing. Yeah. And they asked their mother superior permission to die. And the crowd oh, instead, wow. yeah, it was it's really beautiful. There's a great movie on it. But mm. as these nuns were going to be beheaded, the crowd kind of became disgusted at themselves, yeah. and it was the last public execution in Paris before mm-hmm. the revolution ended. And just talked about how Christ was able to be those sisters' peace, that as yeah. their spouse, they were able to live, you know, so united to him right. that this their deaths weren't frightening to them, yeah. that they were able to go and even witness with their life. Embrace. Yeah, absolutely. Embrace their, yeah. In a real way, embrace the cross, embrace the guillotine. One question for you. Yeah. What is a relic? Yeah, thank you. A relic is um, either a piece of the saint's body or something that they owned. And so uh, we brought little pieces of bones of these saints. And that's a fir- that would group. be a first. That would be a first class relic. Right. Yeah. So something a saint owned would be a second class relic. Yeah. Well, I can. Yeah, please. I can give out just like a quick note of affirmation to Father Chadwick and to a lot of our young priests in the diocese. Um, there has been like a tangible I, I, that I've noticed, like a tangible joy that um, you have been showing within your priesthood. Yeah, and I think that is something that's like really, really beautiful. That when my kids see 
you know, the life of a priest, they see somebody who is happy, who is at peace. Yeah. And um, I think that makes it attractive for a lot of people. And so right. shout out to, you know, everybody out there, all of our um, men and callers who are living this life of peace and of joy because, um, yeah, I mean, you can say it if you'd like, but like, it looks to me like the, the life of a priest is a life of joy and peace. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. It's a life of joy and peace. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, it's given your life to be united to God and you do that for the sake of the people. And yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Amen. And th- I think that was totally an anointed comment because, um, it was what was in my mind. No, just, <laughs> uh, like Galatians five, love and then joy and then peace Yeah, in that order. Sure. So it's okay. Peace is the bedrock. Pieces of the fruit, fruit which you carry with you, uh, but it also stems from your joy that you have that's rooted in your love with Christ. Absolutely, and it's like in that. Or I just love Saint Paul because he's not—he's not an idiot. Like he no. knows yeah. what he's he doing. It. Yeah, he's like super methodical. Come on, student well, that, of Gamaliel. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the reasons when we talk about the fruits of the spirit; those are the first three that come out. Yeah, that, that's that love, that joy, that peace. Yeah. And so we know that when we have love, we have joy, we have peace. Right. We're doing the Lord's will in our lives. Yeah, yeah. But and not to not to say that they are strictly chronologically oh, of course, received, yeah. but still. Yeah, yeah, but there's a reason they're in an order as well. True. Yeah. True. Well, and Alex, you were saying about, um, you know, your kids seeing the joy of a priest. One of the you know we here at Holy Trinity we have a lot of young families that bring yeah. their kids to daily mass, which is beautiful. And on Thursday mornings, particularly, your wife often brings your kids to mass. And one of my favorite things on a Thursday morning mass is when your two-year-old Dom is in the communion line and he just looks and goes, father, father, yes. father. And like, he wants me to look at him and give him a blessing. And it's really beautiful. I, yeah. Well, thank you for your witness because that means he likes you and that means you're fun. <laughs> and that means that like, you know, you're helping attract my son to um, the graces that God can pour out. And there's nothing more that I could ask for. So yeah. Praise God. Come Glad on. we're friends. Let's go. Come on. So a lot of our folks out there uh, might not um, be, you know, Catholic. Maybe some of them are maybe are Catholic and maybe are on the fence about this whole Eucharist thing. Yeah. Um, maybe they're having a hard time just like wrapping their head around it, or maybe they haven't had that, you know, head to heart moment like you uh, mentioned that you had an adoration yeah. that one time. Uh, what advice would you give to any listeners out there who might be on the fence about the Eucharist? I think that one thing that all Christians can get behind um, is the Word of God. And um, I know that it's been mentioned a bunch on the podcast so far, you know, throughout the episodes and everything, but um, it's it's so hard to read Jesus' own words in John chapter 6 and and not be like, wait, what's he talking about? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's just, there are very few times where Jesus is like, he doesn't, hold anything back and he just goes straight to and pulls all the punches where it's just like, no, this is what you have to do. And this is what you're going to have to do. And it just over and over again, you're going to have to eat my body and drink my blood. And if you don't like, you're not going to be able to access this eternal life that I've been preaching. And, um, we're definitely going to get into it later when we talk about, um, our document for today. Um, but there is something, um, yeah, there's something so um, real about the way that Jesus presents um, himself in John chapter six, and then again, like reify or reconfirms that within the Last Supper, and and he just tells him, he's like, "Take this and eat this, and then I want you to do it again yeah. and again and again, like over and over and over again in remembrance of me." And then we have 
for for we have those examples, yes. It's something that's always been really powerful for me, and I know for a lot of converts too, is reading the early church fathers yeah. and reading about um, what what the mass looked like directly after you know Jesus' ascension up into heaven. And there are all these you know first century, second century accounts of going back to Polycarp and Athanasius talking about. Right what the mass looked like, but always there was, it was the breaking of the bread and the real presence of Jesus within that bread and, and sharing in a meal together. And it's, it seems really cool to me that we have the opportunity to do the exact same thing that these people were doing 2000 years ago. Um, they didn't even have the scriptures written down fully. They were literally you know, the liturgy right. of the word was them telling a story about their friend Jesus, and then and then giving um, giving the people the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, and now, two thousand years later, on the other side of the world, um, God is is obviously bigger than than time, than space, than yeah. location. That He's able to be present again, really fully right now, is something that's it's awesome. Yeah. And I would just recommend a book. Uh, it's called Get This. Early Christian Fathers. Oh, nice. What's um, it about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Simon Schuster who pu- published it, uh, originally published by Cyril Richardson in 1953. This book was amazing for me when I went through it because yeah. it's literally just the writings of the fathers like St. Cyril, Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Polycarp, like John the Disciple's disciple, yeah. St. Irenaeus, Athenagoras, I don't even know how to say that, St. Justin Martyr, like these super duper ancient writings yeah you can stop me if we don't want to go here because this might open a huge rabbit it's hole. okay but one thing that i'd say in response if you're on the fence about the blessed sacrament is to look at the typology the mm. lord gave us the typology yeah. is looking at the old testament prefiguring the new testament yeah and one of the reasons we have the lamb of god uh sung at every mass mm. is that christ is the passover sacrifice yeah. that when the Jewish people participated in sacrifice, they would offer this lamb for the sake of their sins. Mm-hmm. And the blood of the lamb would be drained, it'd be sprinkled on the people, the lamb would be roasted whole, and the people consumed the lamb. And so the sacrifice wasn't considered finished until the people consumed this lamb that was made holy because it right. shed its blood. And in the same way, Christ is our Passover lamb, and the sacrifice is finished when we were able to receive that which was sacrificed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then even in the New Testament, you have like the typology of it too, because when Jesus Christ, you know, God made man comes into the world, he comes in as a baby. And I, and I think out of no, you know, um, coincidence, he's placed in a manger and a manger is not like a crib. A manger is where they eat. Mm-hmm. Like he's in like the verb manjare to eat. Yeah. Like, trough. Yeah. Is, is where he's placed. And you, in, you know that can't be lost on a Christian people too. Yeah. That that this God who came into the world was was originally first put into a place where it says, "Hey, like this is a place of eating." Yeah. And so, um, it might be kind of strange for some people, especially um, if you're not like familiar with this type of thing. And I think another different way of looking at this too, it would just be if you had to think about how God um, wants to become, you know, in our lives, right. obviously he wants to do that like spiritually, like at all times, he wants to be involved in our lives, but you know, we are not just a spiritual people. Like we, we are a physical people too. And how better to God, for God to enter into our lives physically than for us to consume him. And then like, 
uh, Father Chadwick said earlier, to be transformed from the inside out. That we, we when we normally eat things, you know, you know that affects us and that becomes our body. But really, it's almost like a little bit of the reverse here. When we eat the Eucharist, like we become this tabernacle, this this Eucharistified. I just came up with the word right there. Got like person. Um, and so I would I would say like what better invitation could God give than to be like no I want I want to be with you all the way. Yeah. Yeah, we're not docetists. We're not yeah. we, we're not people who believe that Jesus was just kind of sort of human. That he was right. kind of like he just kind of looked like a ghost or whatever. We're not gnostics, right? We 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 are fully body mm-hmm. and soul composites. Like we are both both and like yes. There are some people out there who have said like we're we're spiritual beings having a physical like experience experience or whatever yes. and uh, that just breaks my heart because because yeah. we are like that diminishes the role of our physicality right oh, did sure. you ever you ever yeah. read theology of the body come on come on <laughs> come on jp2 get it it's yeah. a bunch well, of homilies well and that's one yeah. of the gr- yeah it really is right but that's one of the great things too about like our feast days in the church like yeah they're feast days because we're meant to actually like participate yes. in feast to celebrate something that it's one of the best things about being catholic is we celebrate little things all the time yeah. agreed and, we're, and right now we're in the the season of Easter, and I think a lot for a lot of people, like yeah. maybe Lent is easier for people to kind of wrap their head around, and they're they're on board with like giving up something for yeah. four days. But like when you say no, 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 like go ahead and start feasting for fifty days. Dude, now. feasting is hard, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like to intentionally do it for this long. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's uncomfortable a little bit, but that's what heaven's going to be like, right? But in a different way. Agreed. Well, yeah, I mean he. The Lord asked us to remain with him, and part yeah. of that is let's remain in celebration with him. Yeah. Yeah. Party rock. It's a good in thing. In the house tonight. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, glory. All right. I think this might be a great opportunity to transition into the second portion of our conversation today. So if you've been listening along, you'll know that we are in a beautiful document written by Pope St. Paul VI, Mysterium Fidei, The Mystery of Faith. And he wrote this document for one purpose. He wrote this, by the way, to the entire world. So Mm -hmm. this is not just like a letter to his brother priest or to like bishops and stuff. He wrote this to all the faithful. And he said that the purpose of this is to do that, which the Second Vatican Council was to do the same thing. It was to, uh, that a new wave of Eucharistic devotion sweep over the church. He says that in paragraph 13. Uh, But yeah, if you uh, haven't been following along with us, or if this is your first episode, super happy to have you along. We're just going to be giving you our greatest hits from one section in particular. We're going to be reading paragraphs 26 through 45 today, and we're just going to give you our gold nuggets, our greatest hits, so we're not going to read this, so don't worry. You don't, you're not going to fall asleep, hopefully. Um, but yeah, we're just going to give you uh, the richness that we've received already from this and impart it to you. Uh, because encyclicals, apostolic letters, these things, these giant documents of the church can be really difficult to grapple with, to, to read, to like receive from alone. But man, when we do it together as a group, um, comes alive. it really comes alive. And we just like break it apart even more so. It, it makes it just that much more approachable and accessible yep. for the world at large. So super happy to have you. Gentlemen, any greatest hits from this section? Actually, can I start off with a question? Because like there was something even from the title of this. Uh, this section, which... Or sorry, just like yeah. the encyclical on, yes. in general. Um, it's the mystery of faith. And the very first thing that I thought of, um, and we didn't go over this beforehand, but um, good. was the, the words, the mystery of faith. Like even if a priest doesn't sing a lot during the consecration, 
the priest almost always sings those words, the mystery of faith. Father Chadwick, why is that? Why do they sing those words? Well, so that used to be in the pre-Vatican II liturgy, that used to be part that the priest just said. Okay. And so, like, the mystery of faith is kind of a period there, and then we have a Eucharistic acclamation that there's different options to be able to sing for the congregation. But it's, you know, right after the most solemn moment of the Mass, that yeah. Christ just became present on the altar. And that is the mystery of our faith, that he remains with us, that he continues to remain with us, and he's promised to be there. That I think it's Catherine of Siena. Don't quote me on that. Love but it. there's a recent saint mm-hmm. who talked about when you look at the cross, you can see how much God loved you then. And when you kneel before the Blessed Sacrament, you see how much God loves you now. Nice. That he remains with us. Mm. Yeah, well, even just yeah. that, just you pointing out this makes a lot of sense, too. The most solemn like moment did just happen, like transubstantiation, which we'll get into, like ju- did just happen up on the altar. And I, and for whatever reason, I have this view of, you know, an older priest who hadn't sang anything up until that point, like barely muddling out like this, like um, this song, the mystery yeah. of faith. And then, you know, the the congregation is called to respond to that, like fully we proclaim and actively. Your death, Lord. Yeah, singing yeah. it. Yeah. So the first section of this document, which we covered last episode because chronology and such, was basically kind of uh, laying the foundation, talking about some of these. Um, there were some folks out there um, who who tried to explain just like uh, transubstantiation, but just in one uh, dimension of, of, of if, if you were to think of transubstantiation as like light being cast through a prism and this beautiful technicolor that we see, um, they were kind of just focusing on red or blue or green. But uh, the church in her wisdom is, is one who takes the teaching in its entirety. And by the way, just magisterium of the church, fancy word for just like this, this star in the sky that acts as a guiding light, a guiding star for us to help us navigate the seas of life, okay? So just the Lord, he, he speaks through his church, he works through his church, and uh, we can trust the church because the Lord is operative in his church. So if you want to know more about this first part of this document that we're going through today, just check out the last episode. You'll learn all about it. But this section that we're going to be covering today is all about the Eucharistic mystery uh, in sacrifice of the Mass. So like, what does it mean when we say sacrifice? And what does it mean when we say sacrament in and of the Mass? We're going to get into that, into the, uh, not minutia, but nuance. Yeah. The nuance of and, these differences. And like Father Chadwick said earlier, like in, like you just uh, emphasized there, um, sacrifice. Sacrifice is going mm-hmm. to be our, our key to understanding yeah. anything that we talk about today. So like I, whatever we're going to talk about, you right. have to kind of keep in uh, mind that we are a we are a faith that requires sacrifice. Yep. And so, um, yeah, that's and that was you know it's it's very emphatic at the very beginning, and right. it, and it probably says the word sacrifice you know a lot. Uh, yeah, a lot in this thing. And so yeah. they're re- the Pope Paul is really telling us to to keep this on the front of our mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think sacrifice isn't just innate to our religion, but it's innate to our very beings as humans mm. that you know, what great story is told without some sort of sacrifice being involved, that we want to root for the underdog and things. We want the couple to fall in love and for, you know, the guy or the woman to make these great sacrifices for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way, the Lord asks us to make sacrifice to him to deepen our relationship. And it's a beautiful thing that we have this sacrifice to the mass, that we're able to participate in Calvary itself. Yeah 
that Calvary is presented in a real way to us, just in an unbloody way every yeah. time we go to Mass, that we are able to see the Lamb of God be sacrificed for mm-hmm. us yep. to atone for our sins, to make perfect the things that we bring as our own sacrifice, yeah. and to be a gift acceptable to the Father. Yeah. That's even why we have like the offertory procession. Yeah, I was going to say, I got to touch in on this because Holy Trinity has done something for a long time, even back when I was a kid. Mm. Um, at the time when the gifts are brought in, uh, the they also invite kids to bring up food to yeah. the altar as well. Yeah. And so I remember being a kid and we're, <laughs> we're rushing to get out the door. My mom's right. frantic. You know, I've got two younger brothers. And so she's trying to get us all ready to go. And then running by our our pantry and yeah. grabbing literal food that would have gone into like yep our mouths to feed us yep. and instead we're just like nope we got to bring that to mass because we're going to be a part of the mass here right and even being a little kid it taught me something about the sacrifice of this mass i'm not going to eat this right. box of uh, mac and cheese instead yep. it's going to um it's going to catholic charities yep. and um in that way you know, they Holy Trinity taught me to to make this part of my life a sacrifice as well yeah. too. It's not just a sacrifice that's going on, but it's something that that I'm that I'm meant to like partake in as well right. as you know yeah. the people of God. And so it's like it's a really beautiful thing. And I think it's a thing that gets lost on a lot of people at Mass that when the gifts are being brought like from the back of the church, it's very symbolic. They yep. they're trying to say like, hey, everybody like throw your stuff on. Yep. What do you have going on in your life that you need to sacrifice to the Lord? Like, right. Throw it onto those gifts right now because that gift is about to be transformed. Yeah. And God invites us into that, and I think it's a beautiful thing. Right. And it was said, you know, not too long ago too, that you know, our when we sac- when we participate in the sacrifice of the mass, it's not just us who are there. Yeah. Um, it is all of the angels and right. all of the saints. And it was it was told to me that like that's the moment where our guardian angels are supposed to shine, where mm. we're supposed to like tell our guardian angels what we want to sacrifice on the mass. And then sure. they, with their legion, bring them up at the same time as yeah. um, as those gifts are being brought yeah. up. And so it's not just, you know, a family or a couple bringing up bread and wine and right. water. Like it's the whole church and everything that we want to be transformed yeah. to the cross um, going yep. up in that moment. Yeah. If, if you have littles out there, you're like, man, okay. For me, I know that firsthand this is a huge time of the mass when my kids would just check out absolutely okay transition we don't have to sit still anymore okay shake it out whatever okay okay cool get ready to really just be disruptive during the celebration of the eucharist <laughs> no but like um we've we've started saving like spare change and yes. our kids love they love being able to bring coins yes to throw in the basket as it's passed around they, they they're looking for it they're waiting for it like 10 pews in advance yeah. they're like chomping at the bit to get the opportunity to not only touch the basket, carry the basket, pass the basket, but to put their like three cents yeah. into the basket. So if you're like, man, I'm really struggling here, 10 out of 10 would recommend spare change. Spare change spare at change. every mass. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons like right after the offertory, you know, the priest offers the bread, he offers the wine that's mixed with a little bit of water to the Lord. He washes his hands and he turns to the people and says, Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours mm-hmm. can be accepted. That I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, you, we're you supposed let me, to let me in on this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Something I wanted wanted to share was just um, 
Father Dan Morris, episode two of the podcast, if memory serves, he he broke down the etymology. So basically, it's just like the composition of words. That's a study of like the composition of words, like mm-hmm. what words are, where they come from, the study of words. So he he broke the etymology of sacrifice down. Sacra, holy, uh, and vice, which comes from the Latin facere, which means to make. So when we are sacrificing something, we're making the decision to make something holy. Mm-hmm. So that's just, I, I love that distinction because it's so helpful. It's like, okay, well, what am I sacrificing? Like, how am I, what, what is it that I'm choosing to actively make holy in my life as, you know, with the gifts that I, I give to the church, how I give, um, but yeah, even just my heart too, like, uh, pray brother that my sacrifice and yours may be uh, acceptable to the Lord, to the Father. Oh, I forget the. Hey, you know what? I'm glad I don't have to do this. I was gonna say it's not your job. <laughs> it really isn't. I'm so excited. <laughs> but just the, uh, I, I see myself just like okay, pulling it, pulling an Isaac and just like throwing myself up, not throwing myself up. Yeah, but, but like putting myself willingly. on the altar and just laying down, waiting for the Spirit to come, sanctify these gifts. We pray. But yeah, just the. What is it to truly sacrifice? What is it to yeah. truly? What does that mean? Yeah. And I think that it's, it's a really great question to, to throw around in your head, too, because when you read the Old Testament, and this is where the the document like starts us off, it, it brings us all the way back to the Old Testament. Right. It talks about the, just as Moses made the Old Testament sacred with the blood of the calves, so too Christ, to, uh, Christ the Lord took in the New Testament, yeah. of which he is the mediator, and made mm-hmm. it sacred through his own blood. Yeah. And that, I mean, there you go. That is connecting Christ from not just you know a historical time and place, but like uh, putting him into the economy of salvation, to the whole plan from the beginning. Yeah. And the Old Testament is riddled of of unperfect sacrifice. You go yeah. back to Cain and Abel. That story is not about anger and jealousy. That story is about one one brother was really good at sacrifice, the other one was not. Mm. And um and that's where it stems from. Um, you know, all, almost every problem in sure. the Old Testament, almost every problem in our own lives is just not about praising God right. Yeah. And um, we are very lucky to live in a time where we don't have to make the perfect sacrifice, but rather we get to take our sacrifice, which is always going to be imperfect, and there is one who makes and transforms yeah. that sacrifice we just into have to, something We perfect. just have to allow yeah. our sacrifice to be made, and when we allow ourselves to make that, it will be made perfect by he who is. Correct. You know? Yeah, come on. Right. And, and by the way, just paragraph 28 is what Alex was re- referencing there. Yeah, and to skip forward a little bit, in paragraph 31, Paul VI is talking to us about what the universal priesthood is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That a priest is someone who offers sacrifice. Yeah. And as baptized Christians, we're all baptized to be priests, to be prophets, to yeah. be kings. And so Paul VI then here says, you know, we still want to uphold the dignity of the hierarchical priesthood. Sure. There is something different about that. But as baptismal priests, we're all called to offer a sacrifice, that we're all called to bring an intention into the Mass. We're all called yeah. to make an offering to make a sacrifice yeah. in the Mass. Could you just, I don't know, like some people are like, priest, 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 priest. What is a priest? Yeah, a priest is one who offers sacrifice. Boom. The easiest definition. Mm-hmm. Come on. And so as an ordained priest, my job is to offer the sacrifice of the Mass above all. And yeah. as a member of the baptized... Yep. All of us are baptismal priests that we're called to make yeah. some sort of sacrifice to the Lord. Right. We're all priest, prophet, and king, which yeah. is difficult for the ladies out there, I'm sure. But like, yeah, you are priest, prophet, and queen in Christ Jesus. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Well, and that's 
you know, like in the first Eucharistic prayer, there's moments of the Mass where we pray for the living, yeah. and the priest folds his hands and stops for a minute mm-hmm. to remember those he wants to remember in Mass. Or remember your, your servants. Yeah. And then pause. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the faithful are called to bring people to mind there as well, to right. make, to offer them to the yep. Lord. Yep. And then after the after the consecration, there's a spot where he stops to remember the dead. Yeah. And in the same way, the, the laity are called to bring the dead same. to mind yeah. to pray for them. And I think that this is um, Pope Paul, really in thirty one, you know, talking about the universal priesthood. Um, he he does obviously take time to say that, like, you know, there still needs to be a, distinct, a distinction between the two. Yep. But um, I'm reminded of this thing that I heard a long time ago um, in education. What like whenever you're making a decision about something, uh, you shouldn't make a decision about us without us. And it's, so mm-hmm. it's like you should bring in the people who have a stake in yep. what you're about to yeah. decide or do. And I kind of was kind of hearkened back to that as well too. The priest is up there making the sacrifice in their mass, but offers a time for the laity to to jump in on that action too. Yep. And it's and it's great too because every time that I don't have, you know, a kid pulling on my leg or something like that during um during the Eucharistic celebration, uh I try to remember I try to get as many people who I know have gone before me yeah. in that moment of silence because it's like that's a great way to yep. call to mind just who's present there, you know, because yeah. it's not just for the people in the geographical church there, but it's it's all of our angels and saints, and so right. um, yeah, it extols the dignity of the faithful, which yeah. I think is which is a great thing. So I, I, yeah, paragraph thirty one, um, Father, that you were referencing, like Pope Paul, he's really fired up. He's yep. really fired up about this teaching of the universal priesthood. Uh-huh. He's like, gosh, I really just wish people would get this. I really just I can't emphasize this enough. He, like he's so excited. He keeps mentioning how worthwhile this teaching is Mm -hmm. uh, because this idea of all of us participating in the mass actively, not passively, actively through our universal priesthood, uh, being baptized priest, prophet, and king into Christ Jesus, he says that it's the most, the most, the most, or, you know, he doesn't say the, he says a most, a most effective (laughs) means of fostering devotion to the Eucharist. Correct. Of extolling the dignity of all the faithful because anything less would take away from your dignity as a son or daughter in Christ. It's awesome. Yeah, that no mass is private. That we yeah. every mass is celebrated in the communion of saints, yeah. in heaven, in the eternal banquet, in the presence of our Lord, in the presence of all the faithful. Like no mass is private, even the mass that is said alone by the priest. Absolutely. Wow. Well, and isn't that that you know Tuesdays are my day off that mm. I offer mass on Tuesday by myself, mm. and it's beautiful knowing that like. I still turn around to say, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours, talking to the angels and saints wow. at that time. Wow. That every wow. Mass is, you know, every Mass, the angels and saints are present. That's awesome. I've never thought about that before. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm sure it's awkward the first couple of times, but you're like, wow, this is epic. After. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the first few times you say Mass in general, you're just like, is yeah. this actually happening? <laughs> right? Read the words. Just read the words. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there's a there's a quote on there too. It says, "For every mass is celebrated and being offered, not just for the salvation of certain people, but also for the salvation of the whole world." Yeah, nobody gets saved alone. It's like we are we are a communion of people, and mm-hmm. there's a the, heaven is a communion of saints. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that we call the Eucharist communion as yeah. well too. And yeah. even though you might be just consuming the Eucharist by yourself in that mass, like you're not, you are, you're united to everybody throughout the sacrifice in the mass. And sure. that's, um, 
And that's a, a great line from the morning offering, a, yeah. a beautiful little prayer you can say at the beginning of each day. And you unite yourself to the whole church through the sacrifice of the Mass. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Paul VI later in paragraph 33 kind of exhorts priests to say Mass daily. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, do this so the entire world can benefit from your prayer. The entire right. world can benefit from the Mass so the graces from the cross can just flow freely. Yeah. Right. And I think about like th- that in, in kind of context with a real world thing of like, cloistered nuns like how, how does that make any sense that like these people give of their lives to go and pray for the salvation of souls but it's like actually they're probably doing more legwork than i am like seriously teaching teaching high school yeah if the if the world was just if the nuns and religious just like disappeared from the face of the earth the lord would come like it would be over like <laughs> seriously they're um but just how they elicit so many graces for mm-hmm. us the body yeah oh, absolutely yeah. well even with like Padre Pio said it'd be easier for the world to exist without the sun right. than it would for the world to exist without the mass. Right. Mm. That we need the mass, the graces from the cross can yeah. be made present to us. Yeah. I love what he said in 35, how he said, Christ is present in his church when she prays. She is in the, the bride of Christ. Yeah, so, I had that underlined. So something I said uh, earlier was how, like, ladies, you are a king in Christ Jesus. And I know that sounds super awkward, but for us guys out there, like, we are the bride of Christ. So it's, like, also weird. For guys too, so just one. I want to say that. Yeah. So like, she, as in the church, uh, when she prays, Christ is present, and he says this. Um, Since it is Christ, it is He, is the one who prays for us and prays in us, and to whom we pray, He prays for us as our priest. He prays in us as our head. He is prayed to by us as our God. And I just love the. There's this youth ministry quip which we 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 loved. Um, frequenting in youth ministry, which is the uh, the Mass is a prayer to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, huh, when you re- just, next Mass you go to, just think, just listen to how many times, literally, I challenge you, homework, count how many times the word sacrifice is said, said yeah. at the Mass. Yeah, I think, yeah, and you're hitting on a great point in 35 too, because Pope Paul but you're right. He's fired up in this. You can you can yeah. tell because he's he's really making a point to be explicit about certain things. And it's really beautiful because this the title of this, you know, little section is various ways in which Christ is present. Right. And yes, Christ is present, you know, in his church when she prays. Yes, he is present in the church when she performs her works of mercy. Yes, he's present in the church as she preaches. But and then he follows it up with Yep. But there's a real way in which Christ is more fully present than mm. any of those other ways. Um, and he, of course, is talking about the Eucharist, which is kind of our, yep. our full circle moment here. It's still we, a more sublime manner. Yeah. Yeah, in 38. Yep, exactly. Sublime. And so then he goes on to to quote Saint John Chrysostom and 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 still hearken back to our our tradition that this is this idea of Jesus being in the Eucharist is not something that we thought of like recently or even in like you know the Renaissance or like any of those times like this is something that's been going on in our church yeah. since the beginning and um, yeah once again I'll say it a million times how cool how cool to be a part of something that's been going on for two thousand years right. in the exact same way that the that the apostles were very really receiving Jesus in the upper room, we are as well every time that we go to Mass. Yeah. Sure. I love in paragraph 38 when he talks about how the sacraments are the action of Christ who administers them through men. And later on he says, this is the highest kind of presence, Mm -hmm. that it's how he makes himself present to us. Mm. 
something I was thinking about was how, um, you know, when you go to a restaurant or whatever and you get like, I don't know, if you're like me and, you know, don't drink your calories, uh, you get a Diet Coke, okay? You get a Diet Coke or even just like, even tea, it doesn't really matter, but like mm-hmm. an iced tea. And when it's just like, you can, you take a sip and you're like, man, something's off. You know, it's just like not right. There's not enough fizziness or it's too fizzy or there's like too much soda water. Yeah. And it's like watered down, you know, and you're just like, no, 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 thank you, yeah. sir. I'll take another, you know, right. <laughs> but just like I, it brings me so much peace to know in the church that we care so much for this truth and it has not been watered down from the beginning. The world loves watering stuff down. And like settling for half truths yeah. and such, but like, not here. No, no half truths when it comes to the Eucharist. Right, and it's been that way since the beginning. Right, I love it. I love being a part of the body. Come on. And yeah, I think that. I mean, how much more attractive to to people as well to say like, "Hey, come to my church." Like Jesus Christ Himself is going to be there. Yeah. Rather than you know, hey, come to my church. Um, we've got a lot of symbols of Jesus Christ that are going to be there. <laughs> And, um, and Pope Paul, like he, he goes of. on, yeah, right, right. Exactly. Good transition. Um, he talks about the proper use of symbolism, um, within the Eucharist. You know, one of the things when we talk about symbolism is, you know, we have to live in that reality that Christ is made present, that Flannery O'Connor, who is a, or was a Catholic author who lived in Georgia, kind of mid 20th century. Yeah. Um, Awesome lady. Awesome Mm -hmm. lady. And she died relatively young from an illness. And she was sitting at this dinner party in the South. And the fact that she was a Catholic got brought up. And someone at the dinner party said, it's really nice that you guys have the symbol of Christ at every mass you guys go to. Mm. And very unladylike, Flannery O'Connor got up from the table, kind of threw a napkin down and said, if it's a symbol, then to hell with it and left Mm. the dinner party. Mm -hmm. See ya. That, you know, there there are symbols in the Eucharist, but the fact that the Eucharist is the real presence. Mm. Absolutely. It's what sets us apart. It's what God gave us. Wow. I just looked this up. A symbol. Check this out. This is insane. So it. symbol, coming from the Greek symbolon, is an object cut in half, constituting a sign of recognition when the carriers of said thing were able to reassemble the two halves together. There you go. What? Sorry, totally. That was nope. not even close to being in the same vein of what you were saying. Still good. Though. Well, it was kind of the same. Actually, it was. I was going to say you can you can definitely draw a line there. Yeah. That's absolutely can. That's absolutely right. Um, I do think that maybe if we do end on like kind of a good note to to that'd um, be preferable. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, would kind of be to talk about like what is our response to yeah to receiving this Eucharist, and I think if we want to talk about etymology and and words like. I mean, there is no other proper response than to just give thanks yeah. that, that God is allowing us to have such a low barrier of entry yeah. to receiving him. Um, obviously, we, we take very serious the care that we have for the Eucharist. And, you know, we, we, should, be in, we should not be in mortal sin, you know, when we do yeah. um, receive and everything. But, you know, provided that you go to confession and you're in the state of grace right. enough to receive this sacrament, I mean, how easy. Every yeah. day, like God wants to come to me in such a way that is is so humble and so crazy um, to be transformed into bread, to be transubstantiated yeah. into something that I recognize and I can understand and I can digest literally. Yeah. Um, thank God. Yeah. Like, thank God for that. This beautiful thing that we have within our within our faith. Right. 
Uh, just the thought of like, okay, I was a baseball guy growing up. I played baseball in high school, played a year at KU. Have the best batting average ever that KU's ever seen. One for one, 1,000. Let's go. Um, no, I was a, I was a first, uh, first string bench warmer, happy to represent. <laughs> but anyway, just the, um, okay, so let's just say, for example, you're on deck, okay? And Jesus is at the plate. He's, it's his turn to hit the ball. He hits a dinger, okay? He hits a grand slam, and you give him the best high five of your life. Jesus, that was awesome. Sweet. Thanks, Jesus. Oh, I have to hit now. Like, that's kind of the call. Yeah, of the Christian is to, to to throw it up to our Lord, and then get out there, and do the same. Not to not to you know what I mean. Just take the analogy. All analogies fail, but just yeah. like we have to go, like we can't stay. Yep. We can't just stay in that high five. We can't just stay. We can operate out of that posture of Thanksgiving, but that's not where we're called to stay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's where we're called to reside. Like that's our heart, a heart of Thanksgiving taken out into the world for the body of Christ, to bring the kingdom of God in our spheres of influence. Like, that gets me fired up. Amen. And mass literally means, miss, like, mass means being sent. Like, yes. that's the whole point, is to receive and go. Receive and go. Receive and get after it. Because there's people all around you. There are people all around you who are starving for the bread, which satisfies. And they might not know how to articulate it. So... This is amazing conversation, and I don't want it to end ever. But we have lives, yeah, and families. We, go. we have families to go and love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got a a big, big, big family to go yeah, and love. It's a you've got twins family. to go and love. You yeah. know, I've got a family to go and love. Uh, let's go. Let's go swing for the fences. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Okay. Any closing thoughts from both you? Um, any words of encouragement as to leave our listeners with? Our mind's going to be short and sweet, and it's just going to be live into this year of the Eucharist that we have, or this time of, of Eucharistic revival, Eucharistic amazement. Um, if, you're, if you are on the fence, if you are um, questioning if God is really present in the Eucharist, yeah. um, go and let him, let him tell you. Yeah. Go and ask him to his face, hey, are you really there? And he will not disappoint. He'll tell you. Yeah, and you know, living in a relationship with the Lord and encountering him as body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Eucharist, it is life-changing. Yeah. The Lord continues to offer himself for us because he loves us, and he constantly draws us closer and closer to himself mm. with his gift of the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah, he's calling you. He's calling me. He's calling all of us into communion. So I want to get after it. I want deeper communion. I want to know those next to me when we receive more fully and just love and be able to uh, just live a life of compassion better and to live a life of Christ's love for the world uh, everywhere I go. And I invite you, brothers and sisters, to come along with us. It's going to be a party. Come on, get ready for the eternal banquet in heaven. It's going to be amazing. Um, so if you've got uh, any good things to say, especially those who do have good things to say, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Seriously, those reviews actually help us uh, show up higher in responses when people are searching for things like this when it comes to faith and spirituality. So like what better place to point people than to our Lord himself? So please do that. Help the kingdom. Help bring the kingdom. And just thanks for listening today. Super grateful to, uh, to be on this ride with you. But before we go, Father, will you bless us? Yeah, absolutely. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, as you encountered the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we ask that you make yourself present to us in that way. Let our hearts burn in desire for you. 
Help us to recognize you in the breaking of the bread. And we ask that you send your spirit down upon us and bless us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Go in peace. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. We'll see you next week.